The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time, she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about conflict in marriage. And we know that conflict is natural, but if it isn't, dealt with in a very productive way. That's how people end up in divorce. And of course, then they end up in my office. So we have a wonderful guest with us. And I have two great books in front of me that this gentleman wrote. And we're going to be speaking with Stephen Frew, who is the author of With These Rings, Discover the Three Journeys Within Marriage and Create a Relationship that Works for Life. It's wonderful. And the other book is From Marginal to Magnificent, How to Make Your Marriage Sing by Stephen W. Frew, Ph.D. So let me tell you a little bit about Stephen. Stephen is a coach, an educator, and author who has a passion for teaching people the fundamentals of effective relationships. He created With These Rings Model, working on it for over 10 years, and that's how it became his book. He was raised in the inner cities of New Jersey, And believe it or not, Stephen was a high school dropout who later, with his hunger for learning, it led him to earn a Master's of Divinity in Theology and a Doctorate of Philosophy in Clinical Psychology. He has studied leadership with the best work people in San Francisco, California, and regularly consults with organizations and businesses in leadership development. Stephen has been a consultant to civic organizations, parent groups, schools, and he's spoken to groups across the country on relationships, leadership, personal success, and self-esteem. He brings a great passion and compassion to the challenges of relationships. And we all know relationships are challenges. They're, They're mirrors for us to grow. They're opportunities for greater learning. And they're opportunities for great love as well. And so he talks about the creation of sustainable enthusiasm in marriage and the needs of families. And you can learn more about him at conflicthealing.com. Also, you can learn more about him at marriageconversation.com. Thank you so much for joining us, Stephen. Hi, Mari. I'm glad to be here. Well, these are wonderful books, and you've worked very hard on relationships and you also deal with couples, and a lot of these couples that you deal with, I think you told me, are very successful, busy, and usually both working, and um, you call them high-performance couples. 
So what about conflict with these high performance couples? What happens? Do they get into some kind of a cycle or what, what works and what doesn't work? Well, what, what happens with uh, people that are, you know, in the top echelon of successful people uh, in our culture is that uh, most of us have been, I think, taught that the highest good is to be personally successful. So uh, if I measure my success by the amount of money I earn or the amount of toys I gather uh, or the amount of prestige I bring to myself, I probably don't pay nearly as much attention to the relationship that got me there in the first place or to the partnership that I'm living in. So what one of the characteristics of high, what I'm calling high-performance couples is they, um, they tend to dismiss their own needs. They tend to not pay attention to what really is going on between them and focus on what's going on in the outer world and what all the challenges and so forth uh, are for them. We see this in a lot of political couples where they wind up making the politician in the family, the star, and everything kind of revolves around that, which sets up conflict. And it's kind of a circular thing and, and usually repetitive. So how do you help them to, to break that cycle of looking outward instead of really working on the family? Well, I have a, a, a number of, of tricks in my bag uh, sometimes uh, my leadership coach years ago, Marsha Schenk, used to look at people uh, and look them in the eye and say, this is not interesting to me. I, I love that comment because uh, it really helps when people trust you if they're having a repetitive argument to say to them, this simply is not interesting. Do you guys want to go somewhere with this or do you want to uh, get me to applaud whoever is going to be right or wrong? So the first thing, I think we try to get uh, couples to recognize that they're in a, in a competition for, uh, as if they're in a courtroom for somebody that's going to be right, somebody's going to be wrong, somebody's going to be judged bad, or somebody's going to be judged good. Uh, they're gathering evidence, they're making their case, they're defending their case. And I try to get them to recognize the courtroom quality of their argument. And that courtroom quality is not ever going to go anywhere in a good, healthy partnership. It's just going to, well, it is going to go somewhere. It's going to go into your office and they're going to be saying, I can't, I can't really do it with this person anymore. So the first thing is to get awareness that that, strat that particular courtroom strategy is not going to help them be a couple. Right. And this just isn't just marriages. You know, we're, we're sitting on the campus of the University of California, Irvine, so we have couples that are in relationships. They're, they're probably high-performance couples. This is a really good school. I mean, we also have people driving by that in Orange County that are listening to this and people online. So, you know, we all get into relationships, and it doesn't matter if it's a heterosexual relationship or even a homosexual relationship. It doesn't matter. The same kinds of issues come up. Busy people not listening, talking at each other, That's right. arguing That's right. with each other instead of really problem solving. Now, you say that conflict has an important place in a relationship, and, and I really agree with you. But what is that place that you're talking about? Well, for me, this is one of the discoveries uh, I made. I, I'm, I'm sure lots of listeners have already made this discovery, but it took me, uh, you know, 150 years of living in, in conflict and so forth and failure to one day wake up and, and see that 
the days that my partner and I, my wife and I, did not have conflict were uh, days in which we weren't particularly, we were kind of drifting and maybe a little bit on autopilot. And what conflict did was, was point its finger, saying, here's something you two need to look at. Here's something that needs to be expressed. Here's something in which, because humans are constantly growing. I call marriage a learning community. Humans are constantly growing and evolving and manifesting and changing. And what conflict does is kind of make you, at the earliest stages, make you aware that there's something that's needing to come up from underground up on top of the ground and be talked about. And that makes it conflict is a royal pathway to intimacy. Freud said dreams were a royal pathway to intimacy. I like to say that, I like to steal that line and say conflict is a potential royal pathway to intimacy, but you have to know how to do it. Right. And, you know, on my website, I have that symbol, that Chinese word for conflict is made up of two symbols, danger and opportunity. And so when couples don't use tools to communicate effectively, it's dangerous and it can end up in court or can end up in violence. Whereas if they use the conflict as an opportunity to get to know each other better, to to understand each other's needs and interests and concerns like you talk about, then obviously it is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to get closer and more intimate. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between bad conflict and good conflict that you talk about in Marginal to Magnificent. Well, what you what all of us have to get is if if you and I, Mari, had a partnership, whether it was a business partnership or a close friendship or or a marriage, if you and I had a partnership. There are things that really aren't that significant that happen every day that irritate us or annoy us or whatever. Maybe I leave the top off the toothpaste thing and the toothpaste gets on the sink or something. There are things that have more uh, more juice to them. So what bad conflict is about is the avoidance of good conflict. That's the first thing I'd want people to get. That is, it's safer to argue about the toothpaste and what a slob you are because you left the toothpaste top off, or I did. It's safer to argue about that stuff than to get to the meat and potatoes of the partnership. So bad conflict circulates around and, as I said earlier, gets us in the courtroom. Well, you said, I said, you did, I did. I'm not so bad as you. I'm, yeah, I keep the kitchen clean and so on. It gets us circulating around repetitive issues that really in themselves are not the issues. They are issues, of course, if, if one person is being a you know, unclean or unkempt or whatever. Those are issues. But the deeper issue has to emerge. And good conflict will have a container, a place, a time, a setting for really, let's sit down and talk talk about what's really going on. And then I maybe say to you, you know, the, the, th- the reason the toothpaste tube bothered me is because I, I really don't feel very safe around here. And you say, what do you mean you don't feel safe? And I say, well, you know, uh, the toothpaste tube reminded me that last night when you went to bed, you didn't bother locking the front door. And, <laughs> and, and you know, and, and, and three times in the last two months, I've had to bail you out because you ran out of gas. And, and I love you. And I, I want you to be safe and I want things to go okay there and and so I start talking about my fear and my 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 lack of safety and pretty soon you start to see my love rather than my judgment or my criticism and and that takes us towards intimacy right 
And sometimes people fight about stupid stuff, but it really isn't about the stupid stuff. Even if someone says, okay, well, you left the toothpaste off or you left all the things, the dishes in the sink again. And it really isn't about, like you said, it isn't about the dishes. It it could be just about like, I don't feel respected. I don't feel cared about because if you cared about me, I, I think that I feel like if I was cared about, then my feelings would be respected. And my concerns like that, I don't have to come home after a hard day of work and put dishes in the sink at 11 o'clock at night. Let's talk so, about what um, what a marginal marriage is. Like you talk about this in, in Marginal to Magnificent, How to Make Your Marriage Sing by Stephen Frew. Well, you know, the what couples ask me a lot is how do you, I, 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 I've had the, I've, I've had the, Hootspot to say that I can tell you what marriage is, and um, and I, and and I think our paradigm of marriage is an old and outdated one, out, uh, outworn one. That's time for another show. But but what I've done is taken if if everybody knows what a bell shaped curve is, I've taken and looked at marriages from my perspective and working many many years with couples, and I, I've seen that if you take the 10 or 15 percent to the left-hand tail of the bell-shaped curve. Those are marriages made in hell. Those are marriages that will never make it with with 10,000 hours of counseling. They they are just poor, bad, poor foundation, and so on. Maybe the people are dysfunctional or or, or worse. Uh, and the other tale would be marriages made in heaven. Those are couples that every one of us has met one or two of in our lifetime, and we say, wow. They just seem to understand, work well together, have good, healthy conflict. They're not drama queens. They're making it. Those couples ought to mentor the rest of us. In between those two tales, there's about, my guess, about 70% of marriages that are marginal. They are you know they're they're going along they're 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 doing something but they're not uh, really singing they're not really exploding with new insight new joy new growth so i i've listed a couple i'll list a couple for you i don't know how much time we will have for this but but it, it, here's one of them if you do not share a clear vision for your marriage it is marginal mm if you aren't competent in conflict and cannot embrace it and instead are prone to chronic and repetitive arguments, it is marginal. Mm-hmm. If the light has dimmed, the energy is low and in- interesting conversation is infrequent, it is marginal. Now, I've got four more, but listen just to those three they're on page 30 in the book, Marginal Magnificent. If you just stop and look, you know, and say to yourself, when's the last time we really touched each other with, with good, deep conversation? When, when all of this stuff is rushing on, my career, my next speaking gig, my this, my that, my raise, what we're going to do with money, how we're going to invest it, what the children need, who goes where, who goes how, all of the stuff that all of us, uh, you know, upwardly bound people have in common, Pretty much the neglected child among us is the marriage. So to to correct that, you need a clear vision of what you'd want your marriage to look like, smell like, sound like, feel like. And, and I talk to 
hundreds and hundreds of couples, and I ask the question over and over again, what's the vision for your marriage? And they usually laugh nervously. They really can't give me an articulate answer. Um, if I ask them uh, what they do with conflict, they say, oh, we never fight. <laughs> or, oh, we, and I say, that's too bad. Or they say, oh, we fight all the time. And I say, oh, that's too bad. Right. And they say, what do you mean? I say, well, conflict is there for our for intimate access to each other. And if you don't know how to use it, you're going to fight all the time, which is just chronic argument, or you're going to never fight, which is denial and suppression. And you're going to need to learn how to fight. Right. And 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 I know what you really mean is learn how to really problem solve because yes. yeah yes. because there's a you know our words are so powerful so if we can learn how to problem solve and say okay we got it we have an issue here we see things differently on this how can we make this work for both of us and this is this is kind of like my job you know I get them even when they're when they are dissolving a marriage is that you know how, how do we I get people who, who aren't able to do that, so I have to teach them in that session or in those series of sessions, and how do we problem solve? How do we get away from the blame? How do we get re- get rid of yeah. the guilt? Because yeah. bl- blame and guilt don't get us anywhere, right? So we well, have to say, know, okay, this is, this is how you feel. This is how you feel. Okay, what are some of the suggestions you have for resolving this? And then they get into a different mindset. Yes, you know, and, and in your work, I often tell couples who I've referred to mediators, uh, attorney mediators, and I, and I would happily refer to you. And in your work, one of the things that I stress so strongly is your relationship isn't over just because you're divorcing. You have children, for example, even yes. if you don't have children. The relationship's going to go on. Those of us who are old enough to know, I mean, I'm divorced and remarried now with Lynn 30 years. Those of us who are old enough to know that uh, just because I divorced that woman 30 years ago or she divorced me doesn't mean we stopped relating. Right. That, that keeps going. And if you have children, even more so, if you want to be a good mother or a good father, you'll work hard on whatever conflict you have so the children can be sane and not insane. And there's always going to, I mean, every one of us in our lives, even though you and I work on this as a living and really try and, and use the tools and walk the talk, we still, you know, are going to have conflict in our lives, right? It doesn't mean that it's bad. Do It's whether we allow it to escalate or do we uh, help it to make it a, a growth opportunity. And, yes. and that's what it's all about is conflict. You know, like you talk about embracing conflict, and I love that. Because if you embrace conflict and you see it as really a positive uh, opportunity to really work things out, to make things better, to make things more clear, to, to get your needs met. How beautiful is that, right? Uh, boy, I, I sure believe so. There's a CEO that I coach who I just absolutely love. He's just a hard, hard-working man, and he wants everything for his family, for his marriage, for his wife, for himself, and for his company. I mean, this guy is just a driven man with a, in the very best sense of that word. And he said to me one day, full of emotion, he said, what you've taught me to do, Stephen, is I come pulling in the driveway at night and I say, oh boy, I can't wait for the conflict. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we create a reality. And if we think of conflict as being something that's horrible, then we're going to either, you know, avoid it or fight, you know, the fight or flight type thing. But if we look at it as like, okay, this is natural. I see things differently than you see things. So, 
you know, how are we going to work that out? How are we going to make this work? And, and that's, that's the difference is just choosing to look at it differently like you do, which I love. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about um, what are the three journeys within marriage? I thought that was really interesting in your book. Well, this is very, very much related to the conflict conversation because most of us, as I said earlier, don't know what conflict really can do for them. And we've kind of learned to suppress it or deny it or avoid it uh, in our families growing up. In, it, within marriage, what I see, there, there's, there are three domains or three journeys. Simply put, one journey is about being roommates, that the two people get together and and i don't we're not talking hetero or homosexual or whatever else we're talking about partnering up with someone you love so however that works is fine two people get together and they decide they want to share an intimate life together and the first thing they're going to face is the whole challenge of being roommates roommates includes three challenges in a generalized way one is how do we deal with money two is how do we deal with space your space my space, our space. And three is, how do we deal with time? Your time, my time, our time, schedules, all of that. So that's a journey. Now, a lot of us who partnered up wouldn't have to love each other to be on that journey. There are listeners right now that we could say, okay, let's, let's four of us be roommates and rent a big house down here in Irvine. Uh, we would have the roommate journey to deal with. It wouldn't, we, we, we may love each other. We may not, not important. But when you do love each other, those three journeys look different because of the valuing of the other person. The, the second journey within marriage is your own inner journey. It's called the who am I journey. There's a lot of conflict there because, for example, I had a mother, and I had a father, and I had a sister, and I had brothers, and they all taught me things that are going to show up when you behave a certain way or you talk a certain way or certain things happen. There's going to be conflict around what my inner world is, is happening in my inner world based on my history and my dreams and my gender and all kinds of wonderful, rich things. Uh, there's going to be conflict between what my outer world and my inner world uh, is bringing to me. Right. Now, the third area is the one that's the most delicious uh, as far as I'm concerned, and it's the one that we get together for in the first place, and I call it the journey of intimate sharing. And this is, this is the journey of how we approach each other psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, how we re-enter an intimate connection over and over and over again. The conflict there will look different. It'll often look more like fear, or it'll often, and fear will look like maybe numbness, or fear will look like distance, or fear will look like awkwardness, or fear will look like avoidance. So in that third domain, I teach couples about really developing a language, which most couples do not have, for talking about their intimacy differently than all the ways they've learned in the past to talk about it and talk about what's wrong with you or what I need or what that, that, uh, what we want to, we want them to get a language that's unique to them so that they can get into this third journey. And we call it developing a sacred space for intimate connecting because that has to reoccur over and over again. So let's talk about that sacred space. And of course, we're going to tell people that if they want to learn more about this, because we only have a half hour to talk, they can get marginal to magnificent, how to make your love marriage sing, to how to make your marriage sing, or 
with these rings, discover the three journeys within marriage and create relationships that work for life. So let's talk about that sacred space. And you were talking about fear and how people are afraid of intimacy. So what are some of the tricks, or not tricks, but what are some of the tools to get to that sacred space? You know, for me, that's one of the favorite questions that I can be asked because um, I'm a man, I'm a, I'm a mature man, and I deal with a lot of men. And my experience, men, if you're listening, please don't think I'm judging you because if I were, I would be judging myself. But my experience with men is that we don't know much about this, and therefore we don't lead well. So men get in my office and they'll say things like, well, we just haven't had sex in six years or three months or whatever. Uh, well, she's just cold. Well, you know what happens when she became a grandmother. Or they'll have a bunch of diagnostic things that they want to say about their partner. They will not say typically, you know, I just, as a 55-year-old man, I just don't really know how to be intimate with my honey. Mm. And And I had a man tell me, um, last year, he said he went into his uh, bedroom one night and said to his wife, I, and he's close to 60 years old, and they've been married 30 years, and he said, I, I don't know how to make love to you. And she said, what are you talking about? And he said, I don't know how to even begin. I've known how now for 30 years, but I, 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 I'm at a loss. And he said, and he, and he started to cry, and he said, I I." want to be close to you, but I don't know how to be. And then they, she started to talk, and she said, you know what? I don't know how to be close to you either. And they started to open up this beautiful, delicious conversation. He said to me, uh, and this was a long story, but he said to me, you know, we, we never did make love that night, but we made love, you know, in every other possible way together because we really uh, went to another level of of openness and transparency with each other. So... You have somebody has to lead, and you can think of it sacred space as a container, so to speak. You have to shut off the phone, take the TV out of the bedroom, hit it with a baseball bat, bury it in the basement, get rid of the TV. No TVs in the bedroom. Bedrooms not for TV. You put the TV somewhere else. Get rid of the phone. Shut off the phone. Make sure the children are safely away in bed or whatever. The doors are locked. And um, and you, you set a time that says, you know, this is for our conversation. This is for us coming closer. We don't know if we're going to physically make love or not, but we are going to honor our need for intimate sharing. And I teach couples that intimate sharing is psychological sharing, who am I really, emotional sharing, what do I feel, what am I afraid of, what am I angry about, uh, spiritual sharing, where do I resonate, what makes my tail wag, what turns me on, what is it that I'm about in this world, what is my why for living, and physical sharing. So uh, that is a place and a time uh, if, for that. That's why we call it sacred space. It honors the holiness of, of love. And, you know, when you gave your first example, you were talking about where the gentleman said, I don't know how to love you or to make love to you. And I think that is really the key, where you speak from your heart and rather than blaming someone else yes. or, or, you know, you really own what is yours and say, I, I am feeling this way. I'm feeling inadequate in loving you or I'm feeling this. And then 
that opens the door for the other person to also do the same. Yes, that's right. Well, we are just about out of time. I just want to mention again your wonderful books. We are speaking with Stephen Frew, who is the wonderful author from Marginal to Magnificent, How to Make Your Marriage Sing, and his other book, which is also terrific. It's A New Look at Marriage, and it's called With These Rings, Discover the Three Journeys Within Marriage and Create a Relationship That Works for Life. So I just wanted, before we go, I wanted you to get, I understand you have a radio show as well. How about if you tell us how my listeners can listen to you? Uh, on the first Wednesday of every month, at um, 9 o'clock in the morning Pacific time, WT as in Tom, B as in boy, Q, WTBQ, New York. Um, I do a, a full hour show with Shannon Sanford uh, uh, called The Marriage Conversation, and it uh, streams online. So if you go to the WTBQ website and look for Shannon's Corner, uh, you'll find it there, and we also post that show on. Uh, we put an MP3 on the website, as we will of this show, on the Marriage Conversation website, so they can do either of those. So that's marriageconversation.com. Stephen, we loved having you on. We'll have to have you back again, and we surely appreciate all the great work that you're doing in the world for couples and people to really relate better. So you are terrific. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mari. I, I appreciate being on. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. And you can visit our website at conflicthealing.com. It's about trust. Yeah, yeah. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.